Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for November 2021. Well, if you watch all the news on the television in the UK or you read any of the press, then it's all full of doom and gloom, isn't it? Petrol prices going up, spaces on supermarket shelves, lack of fuel generally has been a theme in recent weeks. And, you know, if you're really to believe all that you see and read, then the whole country is grinding to a halt. And I did wonder, actually, how much of this is down to COVID and how much of it is down to Brexit. And probably the answer is a bit of both. And Brexit in particular, our breaking away from, from Europe, has been a bit of a slow burn in some ways, hasn't it? Because we've been so wrapped up in the effects of COVID and, and the ramifications of the infections that we've kind of not noticed quite so much the effects that Brexit might be having on our economy. And it led me to think, I wonder what the implications for, of Brexit have been for the magic world, because it obviously has to have an effect. Uh, presumably, those people who are sending their physical products abroad, particularly into Europe, but also possibly elsewhere, are finding that their customers are having to wait a lot longer for their parcels to arrive. They also, we also now have to fill out quite a bit more paperwork in terms of customs, and often that paperwork causes a, a further delay at customs in the country where the products are going to. So in terms of efficiency for magic dealers with physical products, that's really not good news. And the other thing that's not good news, of course, is the fact that the prices are likely to be higher. Um, VAT and things like that were having to be charged on products that are going into Europe. That's going to cause prices to become more expensive and possibly put off potential purchases. And then for dealers looking at it the other way, not sending out, but then trying to get supplies in. So many of the internet dealers rely on people such as Murphy's to supply them with the products that they want to sell to their customers. Well, getting those products from Murphy's is also taking long longer. I mean, I don't sell physical products, as you know, but I do get physical products for review for Magic Scene from Murphy's. And whereas it used to take two or three days, now it's taking two or three weeks to get even a small parcel of review products from them to me. So it is having an impact. And I've got a friend who I play some sport with. And um, during a, a shared car journey this week, I was talking to him about his business because he is somebody who organises auctions for musical instruments. And uh, he's been doing it for a number of years. And he said the impact for Brexit for him has been huge. Trying to get the, the, the products, the, the musical instruments themselves, shipped from wherever they are, might be in Europe to him so that he can va value them and then put them onto the auction and eventually move them onto the people who've purchased it has proved to be a nightmare. And even something really simple, like he had a lot of music books which were ordered online on his website. And he sent many of them out into Europe. And although he put the right customs label on, he accidentally forgot to tick a box to say that it was a sale of product, or in fact, to say what it was. He he'd said in detail that it was 
it was music um, manuscripts, but he hadn't actually said that it was a, a sale by item. And the result of this was that he sent scores of these out and most of them, weeks later, were still coming back to him and they'd refused to deliver them because he hadn't ticked the right box on the customs form. So all these things are going on and, and magic, of course, is, is no different. So I would, I'd be interested to know whether as customers, those of you who deal with either dealers in Europe or even with dealers in the UK where they're selling overseas products, whether you've actually found that there has been an impact. Have the dealers got less things in their catalogues for you to buy? Or are they advertising things and it says out of stock all the time? I'd be really interested to know what your experiences is, what your experiences are. So if you have had some uh, input that you could give me, that would be really great. Now, over the last year and a half, of course, much of our thoughts have been dominated by the effects of COVID. And obviously, in these podcasts, I've often made mention of the various ramifications and implications that it has for us as performing magicians. And as relaxation of the various lockdowns has come in, particularly in the UK, obviously, that's where I would notice it. Shows have started to come back in again and people are starting to book entertainers. And one of the things that I, I did wonder would be, well, what actually have been the effects of a long term sort of layoff of performing? Because I mentioned before that I suspected that we, many of us were going to have to practice some of the tricks that we've been doing for years simply because it wasn't in our, in our motor memory anymore. We had to think more about it. But one implication that I found was not so much the, the tricks themselves. It was the, the gags and the various lines and the timing of those patter elements. That's what I found difficult to get up to speed with. It, it's coming back. Um, but each time that I and each time I do a booking, then it's it, more of the tricks that I that I use are getting up to speed. But the first couple of bookings were, were I really felt sluggish, and and I say I, I could I was physically handling the props fine and doing the tricks okay, but I, I felt slightly off in terms of the timing of lines and things that I would normally say, and often I would do a trick and get to the end of it and think, oh no, I never used that gag or I never used that line which I normally always do. <laughs> and so uh, it was those elements. And that was a bit of a surprise because I thought it would be the, the actual mechanics of physically handling the props and, and going through the, the method of the trick that, that would be the thing that I wouldn't be able to remember. But it wasn't that at all. It was actually the lines. The other thing that was a surprise to me was that I had assumed, and I've said as much in previous podcasts, that I assumed that there, there would be a period once relaxation of the, the various restrictions came in, where we would go to shows and there'll be some lay people who would still be reticent to, because we are close-up magicians, we're standing naturally very close. We're talking right in their faces at times. They are handling our props. They're in close proximity to us and everything that we do. That's, that's the whole point of close-up magic, of course. And I wonder whether there'll be some people who would feel uneasy about that and who would not want to examine props and who would not want us to get so close. In fact, the opposite has been the case. Certainly in my experience anyway, I haven't had anybody who has said, oh, could you back off a bit? Or, oh, no, I'm not prepared to take that card or look at this or examine that. People have behaved completely normally. 
And I, at first I was a bit surprised by this until I started to think about it. And I realised, well, well, actually, I suppose when we go out to do a, a gig, the people who are attending that event have already gone through the process of thinking to themselves, is it too early for me to go to a, a, an event indoors where there's lots of people? And the fact that they've turned up at the event means that they've decided it's fine and that they're not going to be worried about it and they're not going to let it restrict what they do and where they go. So there's already been a filtering process before the people arrive. The people who are not there, and there may be lots of them for all we know, we don't know how many people are supposed to have been there, whether it's the full complement or not. Those people who are not there are probably the ones who went, oh, I don't want to get too close to lots of people and... And, and if they saw a magician would be reticent to handle cards and so on. Those people are not there anyway, and they won't be there until they're satisfied that things are safe enough, which could be quite a while, quite frankly. So once I realised that, then I thought, oh, of course, that's why when, we, when I go out to perform, I'm not noticing any difference. It's because the people who are there have accepted the fact that there might be a potential danger, but that they're happy with that. And certainly people seem absolutely delighted to be able to fraternise with their friends and, and other people and to see live entertainment again, which is great. And uh, let's hope that that continues in, into the months ahead. And still on the theme of COVID and the restrictions that it caused, one of the um, ramifications of it all has been the use of, by just about everybody, of Zoom. And in fact, Zoom provided a lifeline for many magic clubs, of course, who were still able to provide some sort of a contact between the members and were able to provide lectures. And as a lecturer myself, I was very lucky because I was able to continue to offer my lectures and I did quite a few of them in the sort of the 12 month peak of the restrictions. And I do hope that this idea of having Zoom lectures doesn't disappear altogether. I think that there will be a reaction initially because now that people can go back to their magic club and meet face to face, which is fantastic, of course, then naturally there is a, a desire to do that. And I'm sure some people have got a bit of Zoom fatigue because there were so many Zoom opportunities and some people perhaps overdid it a bit. But nevertheless, the, the concept of presenting a lecture over Zoom, I think, is a very valid one. And I, and I suppose, in a way, if you think about um, Vanishing Inc.'s masterclasses, which are these, these online things they're doing each month, those sort of things show that there is a demand for this sort of interactive online uh, event, if you like. And even though that isn't, I don't think that's exactly on Zoom, I'm not altogether sure, I think they've got their own platform. But nevertheless, the Zoom equivalent would be um, something that, that, that clubs, particularly when they want to book someone from abroad, would we still be interested in doing, as a, running alongside the live events. Because there is a tremendous difference in the, in the costs involved, obviously, of having a lecturer do his lecture over Zoom and the same lecturer having to travel, get on a plane and, and travel to a foreign country and be put up in a hotel and so on and so forth. So I would imagine, certainly for some clubs anyway, that that is a still an attractive proposition. I suppose it's just a case of there may be a slight hiatus while in the next few months as people gradually get used to going back live again and not doing everything on Zoom, if something occasionally comes up on Zoom, then they may think, oh, actually, yeah, I don't mind doing that because people will know how to do it now. So they're quite comfortable usually with it. 
then they'll be attracted back to the occasional online Zoom event. I'm certainly going to continue to offer, I'm, going to, I'm putting together a new lecture for, for next year, and I'm certainly going to offer it as a live event, but I'm also going to offer it as a Zoom event as well. And I'm, I suspect, and I'm hoping, that this will be particularly attractive. Obviously, I'm happy to do Zoom to anywhere, and I will have my own open events where people from all over the world, if they want to, can sign up easily and join in, which I think is a tremendous benefit. But, but also clubs abroad, as well as in the UK, will consider it to be something they would like to run alongside their live events because it is a valid way of doing it. And I like the, certainly from looking at it from the lecturer's perspective, so from my own point of view, being able to control a lot of the elements of the lecture, you know, what people see the lighting, the sound, the general environment, and having that all set up in familiar surroundings in a little studio at home makes, actually, I found the process actually very pleasurable. I'm not tired because I've, I've done a, a lot of driving or traveling to get to the venue in the first place, or stressed out because I couldn't find the venue. And if at the last minute anything needs to be changed and I have everything with me. It's, I'm surrounded by all, all the stuff that I need and I can make those changes. And obviously you are, to a certain extent, um, can be a victim of technology going wrong, but generally speaking, it's fairly robust, touch wood. It has been up to now anyway. And so I think that to be able to offer a Zoom version is valid and hopefully will be of interest. I think also the other thing that I like about Zoom is that it enables me, in terms of the content of a lecture, to be able to put in smaller tricks which would just simply not be visible if I was to do them in a live lecture. The problem with live lectures most of the time, occasionally if you go to a convention, obviously there is, there's video screens up and they, they film it and they put it up on the big screen for lots of people to see. But in clubs that doesn't normally happen. And so if you do anything that's on a tabletop or anything that's small, people outside the front couple of rows can't actually see it anyway. And as a result of that, I've always felt that I needed to do or include tricks that were slightly bigger or could be held up in the hands. That's fine, but it's also quite limiting because a lot of the stuff that I might want to show might well, because it's close up, might well happen on a tabletop. Zoom allows me to, by using a couple of cameras, to be able to get in close so people can see the detail. And I think that for the people watching, it's a better experience. They are able to see it more clearly and I think therefore learn more readily for, for, from, from that format. So I really do hope that clubs will consider still offering Zoom as one of the, th the things in their programmes. Back in April of this year, I made a decision to make some of the tricks that are available to eClub Pro members more generally available. And I created a special section in my online magic shop called eClub Pro Select. And basically what that is, it's a selection of 10 effects, as I say, lifted from the vaults of the eClub Pro and made available for sale at £7 each as downloadable video files. And there's some trem tremendous magic in there and the effects themselves, I think, 
um, do well and they stand up well to examination on, a, on an individual basis like that. But I decided that I didn't want to make these permanently available. eClub Pro members have got them permanently available. I can go and look at them anytime. But the separate eClub Pro select purchases options, they're only available for a limited amount of time. At any one moment, there, are, there will be 10 different tricks available. And then each month what I've done is I've removed two of them and put two new ones in. So every month there are at least two new ones for people to have a look at. Anyway, this, is, this has been very successful, actually. Uh, people who are not members, even some who are, but who want to sort of actually permanently keep the effects have, have been uh, keen to buy these. And I thought I'd just mention one or two of the effects that have been in there recently. There are something like Amazon Predictor which is a stand-up routine in which you predict a book that somebody has ordered from Amazon. You, you say that actually Amazon are getting so good at their anticipating what people are going to want to buy that they can now anticipate before you even know which yourself what you're going to buy. And there's a book sealed inside an Amazon book box and there are a number of different um, book titles and a random way one of those is chosen and it matches the one that's in the book box. So that's quite a nice, um, a nice effect for stand-up work. Then um, for close-uppers, there's um, a very nice um, effect called ribbon spread reverse. I wanted to do an effect where I, I've got quite a few versions of this, the idea where a selected card, and it can be a signed card if you want, reverses itself in a deck. And this particular one I wanted to, to do where you, you'd spread the deck face down to show all the cards face down, and the mere action of flipping the spread over so that all the cards are face up would cause one of the cards to turn face down and that's the selected card. Well, the method that's explained in ribbon spread reverse allows you to easily do that. No sleight of hand required. And then there's a trick called printable, which is one that I carry with me at all times when I'm working commercially. Um, if effectively, it's an up in the hands version of where you have a, you actually have a blank deck uh, backs but no faces. A spectator chooses one. Obviously they don't know what it is. You say there's a way of finding out. You leave the card that they freely selected in view and then taking four double blank cards you show them and then as you count them one at a time the card, blank card faces become printed with a, let's say the nine of spades until all four eventually are printed with the nine of spades and then the one that was originally chosen by the spectator by touching it on those nine of spades it becomes the nine of spades. So that's called printable and it's a, it's a sort of extended packet trick, if you like, and that you can reset it in front of people. So it's a really nice one to carry around. And then the fourth one I'll mention is a tabletop close-up effect called the purser. It uses two purses and a couple of coins. And the coins basically transpose between the purses from pocket to the purse. It's really nicely thought out and it's, it's very clean magic. There's basically no sleight of hand, but the effects that it creates are very strong. So that's called the person. Those are the four, four of the more recent additions to eClub Pro Select. And if you go to my website and you have a look, there are, as I say, every month there are always going to be 10 there. They all have Dems, so you can watch the Dems. And at just £7 each, I think they also constitute excellent value. The magic there is very varied too. And don't forget, if you go back every month, you'll see two new items and two of the other ones will be released, uh, removed, I mean. And so don't forget, if there's something that you like, don't leave it too long before you buy it because it may well not be there the following month. 
There's a little saying which I've known for years. I don't know who said it or who coined it originally and where I got it from, but I've known it for years. In fact, I've even used it as the tagline at the end of my stand-up act or, or a close-up show. And the saying is, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Because if you do it today and you like it, you can do it again tomorrow. And I've always really liked that. I think it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also, and you think about it, very true that most of us at some point or other will procrastinate about something. We'll, we'll put off, we've got some idea we want to do with magic and we'll think to ourselves, oh, that would be great. If I could just get that, that particular trick to work, I, I really must spend some time on that. Uh, I'll do that next week or I'll do that next month or I'll do it tomorrow. And then we, we, we basically put it to one side and often don't come back to it or don't come back to it when we thought we might or not for a very long time anyway. And this idea of, of putting stuff off, absolutely everybody, I'm sure, is guilty of it. No, nobody ever does everything they think or would like to do because basically life gets in the way, doesn't it? And, and, and I know it's, it's true for me too. I've got a, a big project that I want to get to and I'm struggling to find enough time to give it the, the thought and attention that it requires. I'm hopeful that I will get there eventually. But I, every time that I go to try and do it, there's always something more urgent that's demanding my attention. And I'm a very busy person. And so, you know, it's not that I don't want to do it. I just can't seem to get to it without something else getting in the way first. So I think in this particular case, it's not me not wanting to or just putting it off for no reason. I'm putting it off because there are other things that I absolutely have to do. There are deadlines. I have to do them first. But the other type of putting things off is when you have actually got the time to do it. You just kind of can't be bothered or you think, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I can't face that today. Of course, the danger with this putting stuff off too much is that sometimes something can happen to prevent you from actually doing what you thought you were going to do and you miss out. For instance, let's say you, you go to, on to a Magic Dealer's website and you see a trick that you really, really like and you think, oh, I'm going to get that. And you put it off for a few weeks and when, when you finally make the decision to go and buy it, he, he's not selling it anymore or it's out of stock or whatever. Uh, so just a simple example where because you put off the inevitable, you knew you were going to purchase it, you just didn't get around to it now you can't purchase it it's not available anymore or maybe perhaps for instance you have an accident heaven forbid but maybe you have an accident so you break your arm and you were going to learn that new slight now you, you've got your arm in a cast you can't do anything covid is a classic example of putting stuff off isn't it people say oh next year next year i'm going to do i'm going to create a new act and i'm going to publicize myself and i'm going to do this this and this you didn't do it that year nine 2019 when you got to 2020 you couldn't do it and 2021 you couldn't really do it either very easily so it's another example of where we're putting stuff off and not getting to it can of course be problematical and even seeing performers perform they're not all going to live forever in fact none of them are going to live forever to be truthful and so you can put off making the effort to go and see a, a, a top line performer. You think, oh, I'll do his next tour. I'll go to that. Or I won't bother to, oh, I can't bother to go out. I can't be bothered to watch that lecture. Uh, I'll go and the next time he comes. There may not be another next time because he may have retired or he may not be with us anymore. So 
it's it's a solitary point, and I think I, I sometimes try to remind myself that if I find myself being a little bit lazy about something, which isn't very often, I'm glad to say, but if I do, I try to remind myself of this fact that, well, OK, you are able to do it. It's like putting off a holiday. Oh, well, we won't go this year, we'll go next year. Oh, no, we'll go the year after. Will you be able to go in two years' time? Who knows? So though, if I find myself trying to do that, I do try to pull myself up short and say, hang on a minute, Let's come on, let's do it. Let's get this thing done uh, and enjoy it while it's still possible because who knows what's around the corner. Recently, in order to prepare a review of it for Magic Scene, I had the pleasure of reading a book called Hook Your Audience by Paul McCrory. Now, Paul is an amateur magician, uh, but his real job, he's a, an informal educator. Uh, and this means that he he teaches, but not in a classroom with a regular set of kids in a school, but he goes to outside venues. He might go into a school, be booked to do an assembly or something like that and have an education based presentation for that. Or he might be doing it in a library or some other external venue where they want him to come in. And it's kind of like a show in one way, but it's not. It, it's, it has an educational bias and angle. And he's been doing it for well over 20 years. In fact, he's got a, uh, his um, hook training. He trains his peers to be good presenters. But of course, because he's also a magician, I suspect that many of his skills that he uses in his presenting role, he's got from magic, or maybe the other way around, but I suspect from magic. And when I was reading his book, although it's, this book is aimed at informal presenters generally, the principles uh, that he talks about are so true uh, for magicians too. That's that's why we're, we're publishing the review in Magic Scene is because it is relevant to magicians and any performer who wants to think a little bit about the way they perform would do well to read what Paul writes. He writes in a very entertaining and very clear style. But the, the reason I mention him him to you is because one thing that he says about the way that presenters, informed presenters work, they, they are actually working to, to people who don't have to listen to them. In a school environment where there's a class of children, they have to be there. They don't get a choice. Whereas informed presenters, they have to attract people to come to their event and then they have to, to entertain them sufficiently to, to make them stay and listen. I thought, you know, that that's of an obvious connection with magic. All right, yes, let's say a children's show, the children are at a party, then they're not likely to get up and leave. But there are other circumstances, particularly, I think, with close-up magicians in mix and mingle situations where people don't have to stop. You know, if you you're, you walk up to a group and, and you don't do it right and you don't, your intro is, is not sufficiently uh, assured or done in the right way, People can easily just go, no thanks mate, and just turn around and carry on their conversation or even walk away. They don't have to listen to you. And it, it makes you realise that I think particularly, as I say, close-up magicians, the, the importance of getting that initial approach correct. And then once you've managed to get the attention of the people, the importance of keeping that attention all the time that you're there with the group. 
it's no good getting the attention and then mumbling away and looking down at your hands and so on. Because again, they don't have to listen to you. They don't have to watch you. If you're an embarrassment or they just don't like what you're doing, if they want to, they can just turn and walk away, which is humiliating for you. But it's also an indication that you're not doing a very good job. So I think the, the key points of approaching in the right way to get their confidence right from the start and then through the, through the use of eye contact, audience involvement, comedy lines, talking directly to people and not just at them, making people feel they're really part of the magic. How important that is for all of us in order to be a success as a strolling magician. And being able to do that in the same way as with the informal presenters, informal educators, they have to engage their audience that the content has to be bang on so that people want to hear it, want to see it, want to get involved with it. So with magic, we do the same. So that's why I think this book is, is, is good for all. Although it's aimed actually at people who do in the, in the magic line, it's mainly relevant to people who do family shows or children's shows. There are also parallels for close-up magicians as well in the way that I've just mentioned. So if you, if you um, come across a copy, of, you can get the book on Amazon, actually. Hook Your Audience is what it's called. It's by Paul McCrory. Uh, I think it's about £20 or something like that. Softback book. It's a really interesting. I really enjoyed reading it. And he, he tells some tales of his own professional experiences that are quite funny and, and at times quite ghastly for him, which makes it very human. So although it is a kind of a, a textbook in some ways, it's also very entertaining to read. And I think it would help any person who is performing out there to reevaluate the way that they do it. Well, thank you so much for listening to the November podcast. I hope that uh, you found some value in uh, spending half an hour with me. It's been great to have you along and I will be back in December for some more and I hope to, uh, to have you visit again then. Thanks a lot and have a good month.